1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. As we study this chapter in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, we have been noting the fact that love is the greatest and the sum of all Christian graces. Galatians 5.14 has told us that love is the fulfillment of the law. The passage says that the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater uh, quest in the life of a Christian than to see that love, in the multiple faces of love, are there among us. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love is the greatest of all the biblical doctrines, and it is a biblical doctrine, and it's the greatest of all of those. Love is self-sacrificing with reference to others. We have a propensity to think about ourselves. But Jesus, as the scripture says, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. First John says that... Uh, herein is love that God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we love, we are not thinking of ourselves, but we are thinking of other people. And Jesus was thinking about us in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to His crucifixion. And so, <clears throat> love is self-sacrificing with reference to other people. Now, it takes... <clears throat> The Holy Spirit. It takes the supernatural work of God to manifest the love that the Scripture says. We can't do it in the flesh. We can try to muster it up, but we're going to fall on our faces every time we do it. This is something that you have to pray for. Uh, when you know the Scriptures, it should be our desire for us to be like this, to be like Christ, to be in His image. 
But you got to pray for it, and you got to ask the Holy Spirit to do His marvelous work in your life. And only the Holy Spirit can do this. And so what we see, I exhort all of us. I exhort all of us to take very seriously uh, these messages on love. And we are not to approach this section of Scripture in some nonchalant way, uh, thinking, well... I don't really, I know that's an admirable thing to do, but it's awfully uh, rigorous. You're demanding so much. The scripture seems to to be so pressing in on this. Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to have the attitude as we go through this, to take the inventory in our lives to realize where we're falling short and to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to come and help us. That should be our attitude, to be more holy. And to be more holy is to be more loving. And therefore, we need to take that inventory. I've mentioned several times, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. And he says, do you not recognize this about yourselves, that you are in Christ Jesus? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. So as we go through these sections, and we talk about, as I refer to, as the multiple faces of love, we've got to ask ourselves, is that me? Is that me? And if it isn't what I'm to be, that's when we need to ask the Lord to help us. There is no greater task. It is the greatest goal of the Christian life. <clears throat> the heart of the genuine Christian yearns to be like Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, it, I mean, anybody can come and, and sit in a pew. Anybody can come and go through a ritual and think that they're serving God. But it's not easy, is it? to manifest these characteristics because it goes against our sin nature is what it does. And yet the, the, the genuine Christian yearns for that. So the greatest thing that could ever be said about us is this. Now that is a loving person. Now if, if anyone ever were to say that to you or you hear someone say that to someone else about you, you ought to be thanking God for His grace. And it was His grace that enabled that. But that's what people should say about you. That's what He should say about us. And so, what, are the, what is the face of love? We've looked at some of the faces of love, but we're not through. Verse 7 gives us another look at the faces of love. It bears all things. It believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Now, as we look at this passage, there are several ways. I mean, there are there's two ways, basically, you can approach this text. And when it talks about bearing things and believing things and hoping and enduring, I mean, we could go off and talk about the importance of faith in God, uh, the importance of endurance and, and undergoing endurance in light of trials that we may face. 
uh, the idea of having a hope in Christ and all that. However, I don't believe that is the thrust of the text in light of what we have seen thus far. It's definitely in light of most commentators as they look at this. Understand that he's still talking about not so much our faith in general, but how we relate to other people. Now, we discussed the last time I was with you that love bears all things. And we saw that it basically meant it covers. That word means covering. And that love covers transgressions, covers a multitude of sins. And so there is a, if you notice here, everything is referring to all things. There's a certain trait here, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping, and enduring all things. There seems to be a unity here to this verse. And we saw that that bearing, that covering had to do with other people. And I believe that the, the main thrust of the text has to do likewise in believing and hoping and enduring with people, with relationships. Because after all, he's talking about what love is. Love, how love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's telling us, this is how you love your neighbor. As yourself, right here. And so, in other words, I think here that he is stressing what it means to relate to one another. Now, last time, as I said, we dealt with bearing all things or covering all things. But verse 7 really is going to stress what a real friend is. You know what a real friend does? A real friend, as we discussed last time, seeks to cover the sins of others. A real friend doesn't want to broadcast the sins of others to the whole world. A real friend uh, may recognize the sin, may deal with that sin in that brother or sister, but wants to quarantine that sin and, and have it dealt with. Not only does a real friend cover sin... A real friend believes the best about other people. It wants to believe the best about them. A real friend hopes the best about other people. It's very optimistic with reference to them. And we're primarily thinking about Christians, our relationships with Christians. But it really does apply to other people as well, even non-believers. And a real friend endures all things with the reference to other people. It will put up with a lot. So we need to ask ourselves as we go through today in verse 7, is this me? Is this really me? Am I like this? Is this how I relate to people? Is this how I relate to, relate to my husband or wife? How I relate to my children? How I relate to uh, people in general? Is this really like the way I am? You know, with reference in the idea, and I know this is emphasizing the week before, in covering sin, in doing that, when you bear all things, then love and a friend is forgiving. It's not revengeful. That's not the face of love. It's forgiving. 
And with reference to covering sin, we need to be reminded of what 1 Peter 4 says, verse 8, it says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I want to stress there that it says, be fervent in your love for one another. He's talking about fervency of love. This is what it will look like. So how am I to be fervent in love towards my neighbor? I will cover their sins. That's what it means to be fervent in love. There's the face of love right there. Now I hope you notice that in verse 7, the one thing in common to all these traits, it says it's with reference to all things. Whether it's bearing, hoping, enduring, or believing, with reference to all things. What does it mean, all things? It deals with the broad scope of our relationships. And in that regard, it's not that... I can forgive you in this one narrow area or say, well, I'll forgive you there, but I can't forgive you here and here and here and here. No, it's broad. It's wide. Love is wide. And in this regard, this all things now needs to be understood here. In light of the rest of Scripture, when it says all things, it doesn't mean that we give approval of sin or that we're lending support to those living in sin. Love is not against discipline when it's necessary. But Jesus was very clear, was he not, when he said, with with reference to how we are to relate to other people in their forgiveness, Remember what Jesus said, Peter said to him, well, if my brother comes to me and sins and asks for uh, forgiveness or repents, how many times am I to forgive him? Up to seven times? Remember Jesus says, up to 70 times seven. In fact, in the companion passage to that, in Luke 17, Jesus said in verse 3 of Luke 17, he says this, Be on guard, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now what was the attitude of the apostles to that? Here's what their attitude was in verse 5 of Luke 17. Lord, increase our faith. Now, why would they say such a thing? They understood the sting of that. They understood that you're asking an awful lot of us, Jesus. I mean, this is hard to do. We really need more faith. And, of course, that will lead Jesus to go talk about you don't need more faith. You just need to have faith the size of a mustard seed, he says. And then you can remove mountains. It's not that you need more faith. You just need to exercise the faith that you have. Now, I want you to understand here what Jesus was saying. Do we uh, just let sin go and not undealt with? No, Jesus said what? 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. He said rebuke him. But he says, if he comes asking repentance, what do you expect him to do? Forgive him. How many times are you forgiven? All the time when he keeps coming and asking for forgiveness, Jesus said. That's why it's not easy. It's not easy at all. By the way, did anyone ever say that love and living a life of love was easy? Whoever said it was easy? Not the Word of God. Does it come natural? Of course it doesn't come natural. The natural thing is to be revengeful. The natural thing is to say, you know, that's just, no, I'm not going to do it. You need to shape up. It's tough forgiving people. It's tough to bear all things. It's tough to believe all things. I mean, it's tough to hope to think the best of people when they have let you down. It's tough enduring with people and their sins. There's nothing easy about it. The Bible didn't ever say it was easy. But this is the way the Lord, what the Lord has commanded us to do. What is the fulfillment of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, this is the face of love. This is what you and I are to yearn for. So, in this reference, how are you treating your wife when she falls into sin? How are you treating your husband when he falls into sin? How do you deal with your children when they fall into sin? Children, how do you deal with your parents when they fall into sin? How do you deal with your friends when they sin, when they let you down? I'm just here to tell you this is where the old saying is, this is where the rubber meets the road. It really is. How you relate to people when they disappoint you. I mean, this is the life of the Christian. We live in a fallen world. We have to deal with sin. And the Lord tells us how we're to deal with it. Now, this word here, when it talks about believing, when it says that love believes all things, it's the, it's the most common word for belief in the New Testament. It's the word pistuo. Uh, and you can look it up, and it has to reference the word believe there as reference to my faith in God, my faith in Christ. Um, it believes in certain objective things about God. That's how it's used. But again, in this context, he's talking about with reference to others. He's talked about how we cover the sins of others. And now he's going to talk about believing in others, especially when they let us down. You know, about, in this regard, about belief. When it says love believes all things, it is to be persuaded. When I believe in something, I am persuaded of something. And it, it entails trusting in something or trusting in someone. That's what believing means. It means placing confidence in something or placing confidence in someone. That's what. So we say, I believe in this person. What I'm saying is, I have confidence in them. I trust them. And so when we say, I believe you, I am saying, I'm trusting you. I'm placing confidence in you. 
What it's saying is, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. And in how many things? All things. The, the, the breadth of this, see, is enormous. So again, understand that love is wide. It has great implications. In other words, you know what verse 7 is saying? Verse 7 is saying that love puts up with a lot of things. That's what it's all about. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. Whatever comes its way. And I can assure you, you know what's, you know what's a given? You and I are going to be tested. It's a given. We're going to be tested, I assure you, in our relationships with others. The Lord is going to see if we really do cover the sins of others. If we really do think of the best and not precluded to think of the worst. He's going to test us if we really expect victory. And if you are going to hang in there when it's tough dealing with people. He's going to test us. Love believes all things. And essentially this is what it's entailing. It is, when it says that love believes all things, it is not given to ill-founded suspicions. I said ill-founded suspicions. I really like what John Calvin says here about this verse. And let me just read to you what he says. And listen carefully to what he says. He says, Not that a Christian knowingly and intentionally allows himself to be imposed upon. Not that he strips himself of wisdom and discernment so as to let people find it easier to cheat him. Not that he has forgotten how to distinguish black from white. What then? As I have already said, what Paul is asking for here is sincerity and humanity in forming judgments. And here he affirms that these two virtues go hand in hand with love. What will that mean in practice is that the Christian will consider it better to be taken in through his own kindness and good nature than to cause harm to his brother through ill-founded suspicion. End of quote. He's saying, now just summarize again, he says, we're not calling for the Christian to be naive. But he says, sometimes you may be taken in. And sometimes people may take advantage of you. But he says, that's the nature of love. That's the nature of believing in all things. He says, again, it is the virtues here of, because of our kindness and our good nature, that we don't immediately think of the worst, especially with reference to a Christian brother or sister. Now, love is not naive. Love understands that people are sinners. Love doesn't excuse sin at all. Remember, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. What things remain true, though, is that love nonetheless goes out of its way to think the best of others. It goes out of its way. To think the best. 
So, love is not quick to say, I knew it, I knew it, I knew they couldn't be trusted, they've let me down time and time again, that's it, no more, I can't trust them anymore. No, love that believes all things, understands the nature of that sin, may rebuke that sin, but still will not be grounded in ill-founded suspicion. You know, the wise man, the loving man, understands the depth of our sinfulness. The wise man understands the compelling nature of sin in our lives. Paul understood this. Paul understood himself. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And look at verses 17 to 25. So then, no longer am I the one doing it, the sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil thing that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, the sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind in serving the law of God, and on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Brother, love understands the truth of this passage and seeks to apply it to his or her neighbor. What the passage reveals to us is this, is that we as Christians have been delivered from the bondage of sin. When we are regenerated by the power of the living God, that bondage is broken. Sin no longer has dominion over us, meaning that we can't help but sin. See, the only person who says, I can't help doing this is an unbeliever. See, a Christian can never say, well, I just can't help it. No, every Christian can help it. Because in the power of the Spirit, they can have victory over sins in their lives. However, they understand that in this world... On this side of glory, there's going to be a continual struggle with that old man, the Scripture says, Paul says. I joyfully concur with the law of God, the inner man, but I know what's this sin nature that still rises up and causes me trouble. So love understands the nature of that, and it believes all things. Love understands the pull of sin in our own life and in the sins of others and recognizes it, but nonetheless, love believes all things despite that. You see, here's one thing that love does. Love believes in all things in this, in that love believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to give victory over sin. We're going to emphasize that more when we talk about when it hopes all things. While not excusing the sin of another Christian, love is willing 
in one sense, to cut them a break in that the sense that they're not constantly suspicious, because that's what it means. It believes all things. It doesn't excuse the sin, but it recognizes the power of sin. But it also recognizes there is power in Jesus to have victory through the Holy Spirit. Well, not say, but preacher, you don't understand how many times a person has fallen. You don't understand how many times they've hurt me. You don't understand how many times they've come and asked for forgiveness. What did Jesus say? If your brother sins and says, I repent, forgive them. That's believing all things. They believe tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day to have victory over the sin. And you know what 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is doing? It's describing what a real friend is. Turn with me. So we're going to talk about what is a real friend, and that, that's what this passage is about. Turn to Psalm 41. Look at verse 9. Now here, the, the passage is going to state the betrayal of a friend. But it tells us what a real friend is, though, in talking about how a friend betrayed someone. He says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now that has messianic overtones, of course, with Jesus with reference to Judas Iscariot. But we see here that in this passage, it does bring out what a friend does. A friend believes or trusts in another. That's what it does. And sometimes the friend will betray them, will betray us. And it is a betrayal. But it does tell us nonetheless what faith or believing in someone is, what a, a close friend does believe in someone. Turn with me to Proverbs 17. Look at verse 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You know, what this is essentially saying is this. You're going to find out who your real friends are when things start not going well in your life. When you go through a real tough time, and let's say it's, it's a tough time and it's sin involved, you're going to find out who your real friends are says, a friend was born for adversity. Now, again, I want to stress, a real friend will tell you the truth about you. A real friend, in one sense, won't cut you in slack. And if you sin, a real friend will tell you to your face, you've sinned. You need to repent. I'll help you. A real friend will tell you that. <clears throat> But we're going to see a real friend will stick with you. Turn to Proverbs 18.24. A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know what your friend will do? <clears throat> the Bible talks about, there's a great passage that talks about God is, is referencing his relationship to us. And he says, when you fall, you will not fall headlong. 
God says, I will come and hold you by the hand so that when you fall, it will not be a devastating fall. That's a very comforting thing to know that about our, our God. That He loves us enough that even when He allows us to go through that, keep that in mind. And the next time you go through some hard times, just think of that imagery. It's a wonderful imagery. God holding your hand. And you say, it's, it's over, I'm falling, it's over. And God says, no, I got you. I got a friend, even in your sins, will stay there and they'll hold your hand. And they'll say, I've got you. I'll stay, I'll stay with you. We'll see this thing through together. I'll stick with you. I'm not going to let go. See, that's what it means to believe all things with reference to others. That's what a friend does. They'll tell you that you sin, but then they'll stay with you and see you through it. You a friend to other people? You a friend to your husband or your wife? You a friend to your brother or your sister? You a friend to your parents? You a friend to your neighbor? Again, I tell you this, God's going to test you. He'll test you to determine if you're a real friend. And if you have, he'll test you to see if you have the face of love. And he'll, tr- he'll test you to see if you trust people when they let you down. How are you going to react? How am I going to react when that time comes? And again, love doesn't mean that I don't admonish the sinner. Love doesn't excuse sin. Love doesn't sweep sin under the rug. But love believes all things in reference to others and with Christians. Love believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to give victory to a Christian. Now, even though total victory is not attainable on this side of glory, nonetheless, it does believe in victory over sin. Because that's what the Scripture admonishes us to do. We are to grow in holiness of life. We really are. Not only does love seek to believe the best about others in the sense that it doesn't live a life of suspicion, but love hopes with reference to all things. In other words, love is optimistic. It's not pessimistic. Love doesn't say, well, you sinned again and again and again. You ask for forgiveness again and again. I don't think you will ever change. Now, isn't that tempting? I mean, aren't we tempted to say, if that's the situation or scenario we find ourselves in, I don't know if they're ever going to change. They just go through it over and over again for crying out loud. But if love hopes in all things, it never becomes pessimistic in the sense that it says they will never change. No. Love says, tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is another day to see a victory. Love hopes all things. Let me read to you in this light what Matthew Henry has to say. Here's what he says in his commentary on this. On this phrase, it hopes or believes and hopes in all things. 
He says, wisdom may dwell with love and charity be cautious, but it is apt to believe well of all, to entertain a good opinion of them, when there is no appearance to the contrary. Nay, to believe well when there may be some dark appearances. If the evidence of ill be not clear, all charity, that is love, is full of candor, apt to make the best of everything, and put on the best face and appearance. It will judge well, it will believe well, as far as it can with any reason, and will, would rather stretch its faith beyond appearances for the support of a kind opinion. But it will go into a bad one with utmost reluctance, and fence against it as much as it fairly and honestly can, and when, in spite of inclination, it cannot believe well of others, it will yet hope well and continue to hope as long as there is any ground for it. How lovely a mind is that which is tinctured throughout with such benevolence and has diffused itself with such a whole frame. Happy the man who has this heavenly fire glowing in his heart flowing out of his mouth and diffusing it with all that he has to do. How lovely a thing would Christianity appear to the world if those who profess it were more actuated and animated by this divine principle and paid a due regard to a command which is blessed author laid a chief stress, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. To hope all things is to hope for the best with regard to that person. Even with an unbeliever, if we're dealing with an unbeliever, what does hope do? It holds out hope that God will save them one day. It still holds out hope. As long as there is breath, there is hope. If you have a loved one that's not a Christian, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop praying for them. I'm somewhat reluctant to share this, but it's so pertinent to the message. Yesterday, we, we visited a friend who found himself in a type of addiction. And he, he went through a time as a Christian place that helps people deal with these issues. He was graduating from this. He had no one there. But we knew of him, and we went to visit him. We wanted to be there for him. It's a wonderful ministry that goes on over in Boone, North Carolina. Men will voluntarily come in who have drug or alcohol addictions. And for ten weeks, it's a rigorous program of dealing with the Scriptures. And it was graduation night. And it was a wonderful thing to see these men. Now, this is only where men go, and South Carolina is one for women. And to see some of these men get up and say how much that had changed their life and how it really literally saved their lives. And one man says, you know, I have a mother in heaven. The last time she saw me, I was a pathetic person. If only she could see me now. What God has done. It was very, it was very uh, touching. And the guy that headed the place, he says, every Saturday night when we, we meet, 
they have Bible studies every day, and they give them chores to do. And it's, it's, it's Bible study after Bible study. He says, every Saturday night, we always end with victory in Jesus. So let's sing victory in Jesus. And he says, you can have men, you can have victory in your lives over these sins that have been so besetting. And you can have victory. See, love hopes all things. And one of the things that was stressed is, as these men would go out into the world now, I mean, they've been sequestered now for ten weeks up on a mountain. It's a beautiful place there. But they've been sequestered. And one man said, well, you know, it's like the one we went to see. I'm a free man now. He didn't know how to react. He's out in the world now. They're going to go out and they're going to be challenged. But it was encouraging what the head was saying to them. He gave him a certificate. He gave him a CD that talked to, you know, tell others, give a testimony. And he gave him a Bible. And you know what, what I was reminded of? I was reminded of this sermon today. I had no idea what was going to be said there. But what shone through was that hope believes all things. He would hug these men. And he says, I'm going to be praying for you as you go out. And I want to hear what God's going to do and use you with your life. But what was he doing? He was manifesting our, our text here. Love, hopes, and all things. These are men who had some serious problems. And I tell you, he understood the depth of what they were going through. But he hoped the best for them when they went out. And that's what love does. It hopes for the best. <clears throat> you know, to hope with reference to a Christian, love does believe in the victory of Jesus over sin. And even though I may not recognize, I may recognize that I can't be perfect, and that there's the temptation to fall is there, I can still hope for victory. And God tells me to hope for victory with reference to other people. Love doesn't give up. One of the men shared. He had his family there. And they had about three or four minutes to give testimony what the whole program meant to him. And he looked at his parents. He says, praise God you didn't give up on me. You knew how pathetic I was. He says, mom, dad, you didn't give up on me. You didn't give up. And I got victory today because he didn't give up. He says, I grew up in a Christian family and I disappointed my Christian family with my lifestyle. But you didn't give up hope on me. But you see, love hopes all things. It does hope all things. It is optimistic of the power of God over sin. And because love is optimistic, believing the Holy Spirit can do all things, love can endure all things, it says there in our text. Now I want us to get an idea, as we deal with this last one, what it means that love endures all things. Well, let's get an idea of how... That word enduring is used. Look, turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 20. For what credit is there 
If when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you, when you do what is right and suffer for it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Now, what I'm stressing here is the fact that endurance, to endure something is to be patient. That's what enduring means, to be patient. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 32. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. You know, when love endures all things, and when you're dealing with relationships with other people, sometimes you're going to suffer in having to, to, to be patient with them. As I've said, nobody ever said it was easy to deal with the transgressions of others. And there may be suffering that's going along with it, but that's part of endurance. Love is willing to suffer along patiently, hoping for the best, believing in the best. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who live him, love him. That word persevere is our Greek word here for enduring. Persevere, it endures under trial. It's trying, believe me, is it not, to deal with those who fall into sin. Oh, please forgive me. I want to do better. That's trying. It takes a lot. You may suffer along with it. But love puts up with a lot of abuse. It's tough enduring with others who sin against you over and over. It really is hard. But love hangs in there with people during the worst. Remember, there is a, a friend who is, sticks closer than a brother. And a friend is born for adversity. You gotta hang in there with people. You gotta hang in there with, with sinners. You know how you have to hang in there with them? You gotta have to hang in there with them in a gentle way. Turn with me to, um, Galatians chapter 6. Here we see the balance in this whole thing. Look at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you, too, be tempted. Now there it says, if they have sinned, you are to deal with them. As Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Those of you who are spiritual, help them in their sin. Tell them that they've sinned, where they've fallen short. But then, how are you going to talk to them about it? says, deal gently with it, because you too may be tempted. may not be necessarily in the same exact sin that they found themselves succumbing to, but they nonetheless hung in there with them and dealt with them because they understood the pull of sin in people's lives. You know who is the great example of this? 
Was it not Jesus and Peter in the night of the Last Supper? One of you is going to betray me. And everybody began to wonder it was them. You know, think about that for a second. Every single disciple thought it might be them. Really? They understood. I think they're sin nature. Is it me? I think they understood that there was a certain darkness in it, all of them. Could it be Jesus? Could it be me? Peter says, I, I, no, never will I betray you. Now notice how Jesus dealt with him. He says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. In fact, he says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Satan said, I want him. I want Peter. And God was going to let him have him in order to have, teach him a greater lesson. And notice what Jesus says. I'll be praying for you, Peter. And when you're restored, then, then feed your brothers. Help your brothers. When you are restored, help your brothers. Jesus thought the best, didn't he? He viewed him being restored. Do you have the face of love? you bear all things with people? you believe all things with reference to people? Do you hope for the best for them? Do you suffer along and endure with them in their weaknesses? That's the face of love. This is what we're commanded to do. You may be thinking, this is a hard message. This is tough. Absolutely. But when you manifest this, then Jesus is magnified. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how Jesus loves people. And this is what he commands us to do. And it's the only the Holy Spirit that can make you do this. Only the Holy Spirit can work in you this kind of sanctification. May He do it in each of our lives. Let us pray.